Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shred's Takes. Got a great action-packed show here for you guys. I'm going to talk about the three big playoff games and then two college basketball transfers here today. So make sure to subscribe to the content and like this video for more episodes you get out weekly. Here we go to start off. We're going to start off with the Knicks and the Cavaliers. Knicks win 102-93. to They go three games to one in this series against the Cavaliers. And can't say enough about it. Basically, look, I'll put it in the context. I'm a huge Knicks fan. This is means a lot because you think about the 2021 series where they lost in five games to the Atlanta Hawks. You think about last year not making the playoffs. And you think about the 20-year history where the Knicks have not made, have only made the second round once in the last 20 years. They have a great chance to make it for the second time if they go into Cleveland and finish it off tomorrow. But I think that they're going to lose to Cleveland in game five and then probably beat them in game six. I think they, they win in six games and move on to the next round where if Giannis is healthy for Milwaukee, that they will play them. If not, they'll play the Miami Heat. And I think if they play Miami, that they have a shot to win that series. If they play Milwaukee, the healthy Giannis, I don't think they have a shot to win that series. But I want to get into why they won this game. Specifically, what did they do adjustment-wise to get the job done? First thing they did, completely dominated Cleveland on the offensive glass. They are plus 17 so they had 17 offensive rebounds, and they had 40. They were plus 14 in the rebounding margin overall. What does that do? Well, the Knicks are not necessarily a good three-point shooting team. So what their big thing is is they have to beat you through physicality and getting a lot of offensive rebounds. Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hardenstein, Obi Toppin, Josh Hart, all were huge catalysts in why that was able to happen. Mitchell Robinson's having averaging four offensive rebounds a game in this series. He's I think been one of the biggest keys. His ability to protect the rim and his ability to offensive rebound because he gets guys like Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, Josh Hart, better offensive opportunities to get to get buckets as opposed to you're seeing the struggles of Julius Randle, but the the great play of Isaiah Hardenstein and Mitchell Robinson on the glass is a huge thing. And I think, unfortunately, this is something I talked about in one of the reels I did was the fact that the problem with the Cavaliers, frankly, with their front line for how being athletic, and I do think they play very physical, they are a very frail front line. When you have a very frail front line versus guys like Julius Randle, Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hardenstein, who are bigger, stronger individuals, that takes a toll. And they are able to beat them up on the glass. That's a huge difference. They also were plus two in terms of the turnover margin. The Knicks had 10 turnovers. The Cavaliers had 12, right? But that wasn't a huge difference. I would say the rebounding was probably the biggest difference, I would say, in the game in terms of overall keeping the game within the Knicks' favor. The second thing I would say is the play of Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett. Jalen Brunson has proved, in my opinion, to be the best player in this entire series. He has. every Game two is his only bad game. Really good game one performance. Excellent game three performance. Then 29 big points in game four yesterday. That's what he is. That's what I think he's been the best free agent acquisition this entire year. He really has been. I, I don't think anyone else had the impact on winning that he's had. I don't know why he wasn't an all-star, but that's the conversation for another day. But he proved again and again with clutch moments and with just keeping the game at his pace and allowing the Knicks offense to methodically work through. That is a reason why the Dallas Mavericks should be kicking themselves for not signing this guy. This guy has proven to be an incredible addition to the Knicks. 29 big points. He's a big reason. He's completely outplaying guys like Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland in the series, which is he's putting himself in that status of being a guy who can be 
a big-time playoff performer, but an elite-level point guard in this week. That's an important thing. The second thing is R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett in these last two games, 19 points in Game 3, 26 points in Game 4. He's going to attack the basket, make free throws, make some jumpers. But the biggest thing that he's doing is he's attacking going left and right. Big problem with him in the Atlantic series, Atlanta series a few years ago was what can he attack going right? Yes, he doesn't really finish a whole lot with his right hand, but he does put the ball on the ground going into his right hand, and he's very effective doing that, especially against the Cleveland Cavaliers who run a lot of drop coverage with Jared Allen. So the big guy's back, allowing him to an opportunity to attack. And when they swing it, he's attacking closeouts on guys like Chetty Osman, Karis Lovert, Isaac Okoro, even guys that maybe are good defenders in Isaac Okoro or okay defenders, I would say, in Karis Lovert or Donovan Mitchell. He's able to attack those guys and get in the lane and make plays. When Cleveland decides to switch with Evan Mobley, he still attacks those switches and uses his frame to get inside, get to the free throw line, and get buckets around the rim. Putting pressure on the rim is always something that's going to be helpful. Jalen Brunson does it really well. So does R.J. Barrett. It allows opportunities for shooters, but also allows opportunities for offensive rebounds, which is one reason why the Knicks have been dominating in that category throughout this series. The third big thing I want to talk about is Donovan Mitchell being held one for nine in the second half with two points. He was four for nine in the first half with eight, eight points, nine points, excuse me. And in the second half, he had two points on one of nine shooting. He is facing a lot of bodies when they, when they, in terms of when they run the ball screen options for Cleveland, he gets double teamed and blitzed on every ball screen trapped. But then when he plays in one-on-one coverage, Josh Hart is in his grill, making him take tough pull-up jump shots. That wanes on a player over time. And for a guy who's really good in the playoffs, like Donovan Mitchell, that ability to make him take tough shots, to show different defensive coverages, whether you're blitzing, whether you're trapping him when he gets the ball in the wing, you're double-teaming him, you're getting the ball out of his hands, it's, it's taking a toll on his ability to really produce in the second half of these games. Now, look, I think he goes back to Cleveland and has a good game in game five. But I do think the strategy the Knicks are doing on are performing and enacting on Donovan Mitchell is, is, is a real key reason why I believe that they're up three games to one in this series. So how does Cleveland adjust? Well, Cleveland's got to win the, the rebounding battle first off. That's going to be a big thing. And then they have to find a way to play a little bit more, I think, through Darius Garland. Darius Garland proved in the third quarter, that big third quarter against the Knicks on game four, that he can, that he can produce. And I think they need to play a little bit more through him just because Donovan Mitchell's getting the most defensive attention from the Knicks. They got to be able to play through him more. And I think that's something they got to do. And the role players got to hit shots. They got to be willing. Isaac Corr has got to be willing to take threes and make threes. Chetty Osman's got to be willing to take threes and make threes. Karis LeVert's got to, you know, be consistent, right? He gets a lot of double figure points, but it's not always the most efficient. He's got to be consistent. So if the role players right now, the bench is getting outscored. Manuel quickly is plus 22. Overall in the series off the bench, Obi Toppin is plus 12, and Isaiah Hardenstein is plus 13 in the series. It, that's the second big key, right? Darius Garland, play through him. Role players got to shoot threes better. And the third thing is the bench has to produce. It can't be just role players in the starting lineup. The bench has to come in and produce. That's how the Cleveland can get back in this series. And for the Knicks, frankly, it's play through Jalen Brunson. It's allow the young guys to continue going, guys like quickly. And seeing, I know Randall's ankle has been bothering him in the series, but Randall's got to, you know, try to figure out a way to get himself into this this mode of trying to play better, even with that ankle, trying to be a little bit more efficient. And the Knicks just got to dominate the glass and dominate the pace of the game. That's how they're going to win this series and move on to the second round.
Second game I want to talk to you about you guys about today is the Warriors and Kings. Warriors win 126 to 125 over the Kings. Harrison Barnes misses a potential game-winning three off a blunder from Steph Curry calling a timeout when they didn't have one. And the Kings making a three late to cut it to a one-point game. Here are my thoughts. My thoughts are the Kings have proven to me that they can definitely win the series through that game four performance. The Warriors won. The Warriors have made the series more interesting than it was now because of the fact that they now have tied it two games to two. But the Kings battled and the Kings fought. And the Kings could have easily won that game and went up three games to one in this series. So my thoughts are pretty simple on that. They have home court advantage. The Warriors are the worst road team in 11 and 30 in the regular season. I have to see the Warriors win on the road, which they haven't proven to be able to do in this series. No team's going to win on the road, I don't think, in this series. I think the Sacramento's going to win in seven. I think that De'Aaron Fox, again, depending on how his health is, is the difference in the series. Now, there was a report that I just read right now that he might be doubtful for game five. If that's the case, then the Warriors have the advantage because De'Aaron Fox is the big catalyst in why they've been able to be anywhere in this series. They say he's doubtful for game five. We'll see if that actually he's able to play. If he's able to play, I give the edge to the Kings in the series. If he's not able to play, obviously the Warriors are going to win that series. The second big, big thing for my understanding of it is it's not just Steph Curry who's playing well, but I have really taken a lot of note of the defense of Kevon Looney and the shooting of Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson has played really well this entire series. He's putting up 20 points in every game in this series. He looks like the Clay of old. And the second biggest thing is Kevon Looney's defense on Demonte Sabonis. Demonte Sabonis was an 18, 12, and 6 guy in the regular season. He's going to be on an All-NBA team. And he struggled in the series. He didn't necessarily shoot an efficient percentage yesterday. They're doing a great job of making him not get to his left hand. They're showing multiple bodies at him when he's trying to run his dribble drive off that elbow action. And they're just being really physical with him. Sabonis is a very physical, very good player. But again, he doesn't really use his weak hand that often. And the Warriors' defensive scheme is excellent against that. And the third biggest thing is Steve Kerr's in-game adjustments and pre-game adjustments. His in-game adjustments of being able to try and play Draymond and Kevon Looney together when they were in. And the second biggest thing is putting Draymond on the bench to allow more spacing to allow the offense to flourish against a Kings team that can really score the ball. Right, That is what we call – that's why Steve Kerr is one of the better coaches in the NBA. It's why he's won four NBA championships. And he's why he's produced a really good system that has helped guys like Steph and Clay and Draymond and Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins flourish in this system. So those are my big three takeaways from this from the game. And it's really exciting to see what game five is going to look like. Hopefully De'Aaron Fox will be back and healthy and be able to go for the Kings going forward. Next game I want to talk about is the Nuggets and Timberwolves. I really just want to talk about this briefly because I, I don't think the Nuggets played with the necessary intensity to win that game until it was late. I think, you know, the, the late game play of Michael Porter Jr., was great, but the big key in this game was that the supporting cast for the Minnesota Timberwolves did better, right? You look at Mike Conley, you look at Carl Lee Towns, Rudy Gobert giving you 14 15. I'm not a fan of Rudy Gobert. I don't think he's that great of a basketball player offensively. I don't think he's that valuable as, mu- as much as people think he is, but he proved a valuable piece last night in terms of being able to finish around the rim and rebound effectively offensively, but his game hasn't changed much, but he did a good job last night. Now, Nikola Jokic gave him 43 points. But I think that's a key to being the Nuggets is you've got to make Jokic a scorer. You cannot allow him to be a facilitator. The reason why he wasn't as much of a facilitator last night is because Jamal Murray was 8 of 19. Aaron Gordon gave you 14, 15 points. 
And Michael Porter Jr. gave you around that amount, but, amount, but Contavious Caldwell Pope didn't really produce a whole lot. You look at Jeff Green, didn't really produce a whole lot. Christian Brown didn't produce a whole lot. For Denver to be the team that they were in the first three games, it's the others. Bruce Brown producing, right? Having a good plus minus, producing off of it. And Jokic has to have a high amount of assists. He can't have four or five assists and expect to win. If he gives you 43 points, it's great. It's a big reason why they were in that game. He played great last night. But the key to beating the Nuggets is making Jokic a score. And the last thing I want to talk about with this is Anthony Edwards. I've been hard on Anthony Edwards for his performance against the Lakers. But the one thing I will give that guy is in big moments, he has shown to produce. You look at the Memphis series a year ago. You look at the play-in game against the Clippers. This guy in big moments does produce. He's a borderline superstar. He just needs to do it on a more consistent basis. But he was the reason they won that game last night. And he was the guy who had the big shot late to put them up 112-108 when it was 109-108 to in that overtime period. Look, I don't think they're going to win, win in Denver. I think Denver takes the care of them in five games. But Anthony Edwards is a terrific player. And it was fun to see him be able to really play at the end of the game with the ball in his hands and for him to make plays going downhill, making threes, and being the guy that I think he, he should be, the number one option for this Minnesota Timberwolves team. So that's my thoughts on that game. The last thing I want to talk about real quick is there are two big transfers that I just heard went to different schools in college basketball. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit to talk about what these guys can bring to the programs, their strengths and their weaknesses, and what exactly can allow these teams to be successful. First guy I want to talk about is a guy who I actually played AU against a little bit. He's from New York, went to Milton Academy. He played at Notre Dame for four years, played at Stanford for one, played at Stanford as well. So Notre Dame for three years, excuse me, and, and Stanford for one year. He came off his best statistical season, 12.3 points a game, shooting 41% from the floor, and that's Cormac Ryan. Cormac Ryan decided to transfer to UNC, and UNC's gotten some good transfers going into the into the into their into their squad this upcoming season. UNC had a really disappointing season. Um, they really did. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be straight up about it. They really did. Preseason number one team in the country. I probably fell in that hype a little bit. They were not the number one team in the country. They don't. They didn't deserve to be given that title. What Cormac Ryan brings to the table is shooting. He was in the 75th percentile on, on spot-up threes this year at almost one point per possession. I think it was 0.92 points per possession for this year, which was in the 75th percentile. So he's a guy who can really shoot the basketball. He's a little streaky, but he can really shoot the basketball. That is his strength. He's also a guy who was in the 90th percentile in transition. North Carolina's a team that like, likes to get up and down the court. He will fit really well in that. He's very good at getting up and down the court making plays in transition, finishing off, running the floor. He's a guy who's very good in transition. Those are his big strengths. I think his ability to shoot and his ability to be a good player in transition. His weakness is he's not the most elite level pick and roll decision maker, and, and he's not the most efficient scorer. Again, 40% from the floor, 33%-ish from three. He's a guy who can shoot it well, but he doesn't always have the best shot selection. He's not the, always the most efficient. You look at the list of games, his last five games of the year, he was shooting most of those games with, at a total field goal percentage of about 35 36%. That's not necessarily good enough. We'll see if Hubert Davis can get him to be more efficient. He can score the basketball. That is definitely proven. Te the Texas Tech NCAA tournament game back in 2021 where he scored 25 points. The guy can score the basketball, but it's the efficiency of how he's going to do it. And can he be an effective pick-and-roll playmaker? He's, only in, he's about an average player in the pick-and-roll this year at only about 0.76 points per possession, which was the 50th percentile of all college basketball players this season. 
Again, he's a shooting guard. He needs to be able to be better in that aspect. But his strengths, being able to be really good in transition and being a really good shooter from spot-up situations, either where going into a pull-up, going into a drive, or just catch and shoot. He's got a very quick release, about 6'6", six, 6'5". Six, six, so he's a good addition in terms of those things. He can definitely add some three-point shooting like Brady Manning added when they made that run. The biggest thing for him, again, is just efficiency, right? Can he be efficient? And I know he's playing the ACC because he played at Notre Dame, so he knows his conference well. But hopefully within the UNC offense, he can be able to be a little bit more efficient. And the second one is, look, my my college basketball team that I I, I root for at the Division One level is Villanova. I've always rooted for Villanova, always been a fan of them. And Hakeem Art, I think, is a very good pickup. Now, his his his, his weakness is definitely he's an inconsistent three-point shooter, 33% this past year. But he shoots 47% from the floor, gives you four rebounds, 11.4 points a game. And he was a big catalyst in, again, he's a disruptive defender. He can take guys off the dribble. He's a really, really hard-playing, tough-nosed kid. I think the big thing with him, too, is coming into this Villanova program is Villanova needs a guy who can bring a spark of energy from an offensive-defensive standpoint. And this guy, in Akeem Hart, can do it. Again, Maryland was a team that was very scrappy, played a little smaller. He's six foot eight and plays in the wing. So that's good size to bring into the Big East Conference, which has big wings. And I think that for Kyle Neptune's squad, bringing this guy in, at least a guy with experience getting to the NCAA tournament and experience winning a game in the NCAA tournament, is a key for this team to be able to be back to the standard that Villanova is expected to be. Big East has gotten better. You look at St. John's, you look at Georgetown, you look at Marquette and UConn, right? You're, you still look at Xavier, right? Those teams are still very good. Creighton, obviously. The Big East Conference is, is arguably the best conference in college basketball. So when you look at that throughout throughout the line, right, they just had a team that won the national championship in UConn, Hakeem Hart's going to be a big transfer for Villanova and a big key for their team in terms of bringing scoring, bringing a guy who can bring an energetic presence on both sides of the court, and a physical presence. He can drive to the rim, good size, good athleticism. So that will help Villanova going forward as they try to get back, at least to being a team that can compete for an NCAA tournament again and not lose to Liberty as I did in the NIT. So those are overall my thoughts today. Again, make sure to subscribe, like this video. I'll be posting a new video, hopefully midweek this week about some of my more NBA playoff thoughts. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and enjoy this video. Thank you very much.